Our podcast is about a story about a town, a small town, and the people who live in the town. From a distance, it presents itself like so many other fandom podcasts all over the internet. Nerdy, white, male. Get closer though, and you start to see the silliness underneath. Hello, and welcome to River Do's and River Don'ts, a Riverdale recap podcast. I'm Quinn Wilson. And I'm Rob Stiff. Today, we're going to be talking about and breaking down Season 1, Episode 6, Title, Chapter 6, colon, Faster Pussycats, Kill, Kill. I almost committed to reading all of the punctuation. I expected, actually, for that to have happened. I was... So, uh... Okay. You've kept me in suspense. You've kept me on my toes. Yeah. I sometimes like to just flip it around at the last second. This was directed by Stephen A. Adelson, and it was Rillin... Rillin, just like Krillin from Dragon Ball <laughs> yeah. Z. Um, it's weird how no one has noses in this episode. Yeah, and everyone has six dots on their forehead. It makes the variety show very nasal in its musical parts, but, you know. Everyone does marry can. Android 18, which, let's be honest. I mean. That's pretty much an right. ideal ending. Yeah, I mean, unless you're into 17. Yeah, I'm. <sighs> I, I, I've said this before, or, but. Just both of them. Just both of them. Peak bisexuality is having a crush on both Android 17 and 18. Anyhow, to correct my mistake, this was written by the dynamic <laughs> duo Tessa Lee Williams and Nicholas the Z-Man Zwart. Yeah, it's either Zwart or Zwart, I, I, I suppose. Don't know the man. Don't know the man, unfortunately. But I, I sure appreciate the nutso stuff that they do in this episode. Oh yeah, we're going to get to that after we recap we're going to give you our river do's, our favorite thing about the episode. We're going to give you our river don'ts, our least favorite thing about the episode. And then, like pulling a rabbit out of a hat, out of or a, a box, snake from a out box. of a snake, exactly, <laughs> Right. we will be introducing and discussing the thing in the show that we found most quizzical. Let me say this. They really had to, like, reset the stage in episode four. They shook a lot of things up. Then they gave us a palate cleanser. Sort of a... After dinner mint. A deep red like wine. like a tombstone. <laughs> yeah. Just a blood red wine to sort of ease us in to where they are starting to move forward in some sense of the word. This definitely felt like them making Riverdale great again. Yeah. Like... Marga. like it's actually Riverdale again. Yeah. Like after some weirdness. Exactly. And in some ways, the Riverdale list. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. Point number one Archie's back on his bullshit with the music. He's going to present in the talent show or variety show. It's well, a the fact fucking that we talent have a high show, school... guys. Let's not kid ourselves. Well, sure. But the fact that we have a high school talent show in this episode immediately gave me hope that we were back on track. Oh, yeah. That was strong opener. To give us a sense for what we're getting into. Then, Betty continues to investigate what's going on with Polly with Jughead. She's got the quest that she got from the Grandma Blossom NPC open in her quest log. Yep. And is following the most efficient route on her minimap. Right to that home for wayward teens. That home for creepy religious abuse, but I'm sure we'll get there. Oh yeah, there's no problems that I have with that at all. <laughs> There's some relationship drama that develops between Veronica and Archie. Archie, being the young, precious, tender boy he is, is too afeard 
to go on that stage alone, and Val has too much allegiance to Josie and the Pussycats to abandon them to be his co-act. So Veronica offers to join, sees Fred Jones and Hermione Lodge just macking hot out. That was so going to happen. I mean, they have been like the sexual tensioniest since the first time that they were on screen together. Oh, yeah. Like, that was never not going to happen. Uh-huh. That really shakes up Veronica. So she says, fuck you to Archie, at the same time that Val says, fuck you to the Pussycats. And essentially, they swap places. But Well, and, and, and to, to a degree, I mean, like, she's gonna go tell Archie about it, and Archie has thoughtlessly replaced her with Val because Val has freed up. Oh, yeah, he assumed... Like, oh, I I didn't think it was a big deal. I thought you were just doing it as a favor to me. Like, I mean, he legitimately was not ill-meaning, but holy shit, the boy is dumb. Oh, as a bag of rocks. Like, very, very dumb. (laughs) Incredibly. There was some facepalm from my end. Yeah. On on his behalf. Like, god damn it, dude. (laughs) We also continue to develop the real estate plot as Fred goes with Hermione to dinner at Mayor McCoy's house. In order to pitch that Andrew's construction should take over the building on the lot of the old theater. Against her husband's wishes. Against her uh, husband's so, wishes. Sort of needing needing majority signatures to move this through. Yeah, so there's some forgery that happens because Veronica, like a reasonable person, isn't super into this sneaky double infidelity that's going on i'm gonna force a business decision on my incarcerated husband for the benefit of my new boyfriend it is kind of what was happening yeah it was not great i mean we don't know that Hiram's a great guy all we know about him is that he was real rich doing crimes so i mean probably not but this is this is not a good look it's not i sort of feel like while the main competition in this episode is the high school variety show. Crucially, the parents of Riverdale are also engaging in a heated competition to prove who is the goddamn worst. Because every parent is completely fucking hideous in this episode, with the possible exception of dumb horn dog Fred Andrews, right? Like, Fred it's just obvious that through. Hermione wants to bone. Like, she's, she's, she's down, and it's disrespectful to Hiram, but we don't know their relationship or whatever, and, like, this is kind of her choice to make this, this thing happen. Yeah. Because she's the, she's the married and not technically separated one. Correct. Uh, but, but, oh yeah. my god. The parents are We even introduce bad. new parents and get into, uh, seeing the inside of the parental life of new characters. Yeah. So that we can see how fucking trashed they are. We meet Josie's dad, who is just... <laughs> just a fucking piece of shit! Yeah, he really is. He believes in one god and one gospel only, and that is jazz. And he shits on everything that's not jazz. Including his family. Because his family are not jazz. I mean, if if Mayor McCoy and Josie were jazz, maybe this wouldn't be a problem. Have they tried being jazz? <sighs> So, that was bad. Like, so bad, these parents. And then, to wrap it all up, the investigation brings us to Polly. We actually meet Polly this episode. Turns out she is Proganonant and was going to escape on the 4th of July. And away to a car where they're going to make their grand escape. Betty also informs Polly that Jason is dead. 
Which she did not appear to know. Correct. Then, they go find that car, they look at the car, and as Jughead is looking at the drugs in the trunk of the car, Betty maybe learned something from two episodes ago, but says, hey, that's evidence, we shouldn't touch that. (laughs) Yes, she's learned her lesson, folks. So, they stop touching that, and go to the sheriff. And they do take a couple pictures. They do. In their defense. And? The smart thing. The thing you should do. They took some pictures, and it was in sequence with some music, like, at the talent show. It was being performed in absurd pussycat leotards. That was just the most. It was so much the most. I kind of liked how they understated it a bit in previous episodes, but this time they were like, fuck that. Yep. We're doing tail length proportional yeah. to a human body. It was Like, it's not even decorative. Like, this thing has structure. Oh, yeah. No, there was, like, some skeleton to that thing. Armature involved uh, uh, yeah. in, in the creation of these costumes. They needed some sort of costume tech to get that done. But And the mysterious perpetrator or perpetrator adjacent, you know, plot in the know character off in the wings, seeing that the principal investigative duo has seen the car and there can now be tension with that burns the evidence. Knowing now that the plot has been served and and drama can be created. Correct. They finally spark that lighter that they've been holding in their hand, presumably for weeks, waiting to burn this car. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They've just been waiting. Because you know what? In order for it to feel good... Somebody has to know that it happened. Yes, you have to know that there's a detective out there working so hard to catch you and, and a step behind. That's what makes it otherwise, satisfying. Otherwise, you, it's just, otherwise, it's super hard to come. <laughs> have you tried? It feels very empty and rote, and like you just kind of regretted doing that. Yeah, in the you, first, feel, you, you feel, feel like disgusted with yourself immediately. You wasted that time. It wasn't worth it. <laughs> You feel more empty <laughs> than when you started. I don't know if that's going in the podcast. It might get it was cut. Really gross. <laughs> um, uh. But we do wrap this episode. Not really wrap, but one final pin to put in this episode. There's not one kiss in this episode, but three kisses. Fred and Hermione kiss. Betty and Jughead kiss. And finally, Archie and Val kiss. And... One of these things is not like the other. One of these things doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, Correct. But we'll get to that. Correct. I think that's our episode, right? Yeah, that's it. So let's get in to our river dues. All right. My river due for this week. I feel like a dork for this, but I actually really liked Archie's song. It wasn't terrible. I felt like after that performance that the kiss with Val was very earned and realistic and you know you felt a lot of chemistry between those characters from the moment they first interacted one-on-one and everything that's happened since then has driven them closer together you know from the beginning that it's doomed because it is not Betty or Veronica and she is not part of a mythic love triangle correct so you know it's doomed But for that same reason of it not being that horrible dramatic thing, it's like, you kind of want it. I can get on board with it. Like, okay, yeah, here's a person who shares an important interest with you. They're supportive of each other. You guys are clearly into each other. And like, there's there's nothing horrible or murdery or real estate chicanery or secret 
sister imprisoning drama. Val seems like a nice girl and Archie seems like a dumb, nice guy. And they could probably have fun. I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. I felt like just sort of the, yeah, I'm a dumb dude who doesn't get it. But when I have my guitar and I get over my, my fear for a moment, I can get in touch with my emotions. And the simplicity of that, the honesty of that, along with the simplicity and honesty of this uh, emerging relationship, was a breath of fresh air after, let's say, everything else that has happened in all six episodes of Riverdale. Agreed. So that was my Riverdale. Like, I'm rooting for them, even though I know that it's hopeless. And I liked Archie's musical performance. I, If that's actually KJ Appa's voice, then oh boy, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so... My Riverdew somewhat follows that. It is a Riverdew with a significant caveat, but this episode was three kiss, and this was sold to me as a kiss show. Yes. <laughs> so I really feel like for the first time, Riverdale is delivering. Yes. Like, that is very true. They've got a kiss for every important part of the plot. The beginning, the middle, and the end. I say that as someone oh who's well-studied in narrative theory. Oh, God. And they've got they've got a kiss for the season arc, for the episode arc, and for the setting-based drama with the parents. And the best part about it is the Act 2 kiss, just like Act 2, is the absolute worst one. <laughs> Uh, now I'm thinking that the uh, the platonic ideal of a Riverdale episode will always have an A-plot kiss, a B-plot kiss, and a season-plot kiss. It could be. <laughs> I mean, that's a high bar that episode six is set, come to think of it. Yeah, it is structurally majestic with that three kiss. Yeah, yeah. very, very impressive. Very impressive. So, since that's my Riverdue... So your Riverdue is the formal perfection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. My River Don't, however, I was conflicted on this one. So I'll go ahead and say my runner-up relates to the kiss. Okay. And that's that the Jughead Betty thing just doesn't make any sense. Kind of came out of nowhere, wasn't feeling any chemistry between them. They're good detective buddies. They're Nancy drewing it up together. It's good friend stuff. And then Jughead had to go and make it all horny, and it was weird. It didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. And... Part of that might be me projecting the fact that I do know the Jughead is, in the Archie comics, an asexual character. Yeah. Which you can have in a Kiss show, but I also can understand why, when making Kiss show, you might do away with that detail. Yeah, I mean, clearly there have been adaptive choices made. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I don't know how I feel about it either. Like, it, it, shit, if he's gonna kiss someone, it should be not how, who, why, or when that one happened. Yeah, it was just all bad. So, so weird. Then my real River Don't was just the entire treatment of Polly, particularly in the context of like mental health emergency services and inpatient programs. I mean, she was in a rehab center for demon possession. She was in a place that you put people who have been possessed by demons so that they can have like immediate in-room exorcism service yeah. like that was not a place for people to actually get better from being sick no and they took white clothed kidnappers to take her like they were wearing white scrubs just come to kidnap your daughter to take her to the exorcism room it was bad oh yes very bad and indeed. everyone there seemed cruel and apathetic like this isn't an 18th century orphanage yeah sort of pushing the uh 
temporal ambiguity a little far, in my opinion. Just a little bit. this is positively bit. Victorian. Yeah, that was some old-timey stuff. I was expecting to see gentry there, you know, banging on the bars, laughing at the people screaming. Someone getting, like, pressure hosed down <laughs> with a cage around their head. Yeah, it felt like a very, very poor representation of what it's actually like when people go through a crisis and then turn to mental health services. This is the kind of thing that turns people away from asking for help when they need it. And I understand yeah. that it's pulling on a lot of genre and fictional tropes. I mean, but... it is dramatic, but, you know, as someone who has worked in mental health services and who is married to someone who currently does, it's okay to get help. It's there and it's good. <laughs> and it's not like that. Yep. Don't listen to Riverdale on this That's, particular issue. That is also my intended career path. So, yeah, please ask for help. People who are in helping professions, believe it or not, do want to help. Go figure. They're largely very nice people. My River Don't stretches across much of this episode. And it's the parents. Like, holy shit. Almost no one makes it out of this. Without just being a complete piece of crap. Fred, again, is apparently as good as a parent can possibly be. And is apparently fighting a mighty battle against the metaphysical forces of reality itself in Riverdale. To just be a fucking human being. Right. I so, mean. congrats. He's To Mr. Goob, Andrews. But better a goo than a, a monster he's a nice horny dumb guy just like his son i guess it runs in the family yeah yeah like just ex exactly the same and that puts him so far beyond everyone else because let's just go down the list shall we let's we finally see some actual parenting going on between josie and her mother and her mother reminds her to replace val with a woman of color because that's important for the branding that hurt me she a She sees the she sees the inclusion of women in color as a branding tactic despite having lived through racism herself explicitly in the show this has been mentioned. Good job. That made me sad. Not a big fan of that. And of course, we meet douchebag of the year dad that Josie gets to deal with. Yep. Who walks literally walks out on the finale of Josie's musical performance so that she is stuck up on stage watching him leave. That was bad. He's married to Jazz. And then I feel like the racial politics of this episode were a little bit weird. And granted, I say that as a white man. So, you know, pr privilege disclaimed. But he also makes this weird attack at Fred Andrews about gentrification when... The theater is in the nice part of town already. They had to use Snakeman's to drive the price down. Yeah, that was a plot point. So that was... Yeah, it was, it, it was a weird, wrong weird argument. Weird, and felt like something that was done primarily to draw on racial politics? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure and what that was. It was it was weird. Cuz it usually... was weird seeing Fred Andrews sitting down to dinner with all these fucking Borgias. Yeah. I'm a normal human and I am not wow, I don't belong here. <laughs> right. It, it was really weird. And so of course, Hermione loses her grip on the rail 
on the decent parenting train and forges her daughter's signature. Basically, while screaming at her daughter, I'll kiss who I want to. More or less. So that sucks. Because what I had hoped for her, she had been very supportive previously, right? And And like, I did not think that two decent parents of the whole bunch was too many. But apparently the show apparently. disagreed with that. We, so this is some truly nightmarishly tragic parenting. And then Alice swoops in and just digs through the bottom of the barrel into the core of the goddamn earth. The treatment of her daughter, the like literal kidnapping of her daughter and forced incarceration of her daughter because she doesn't approve of who she's involved with romantically and the gaslighting and presumably large payments of money that would go into getting an institution to take someone who obviously does not belong and keep them there against their will. I mean, it went so crazy. And that's like the crown jewel of my river don't for the week is that Alice is, we knew she was controlling and emotionally toxic and very messed up in her own head and not a great mom to have. But, but like, she's actively monstrous as of this episode. She's horrendously abusive. Yeah, just just a fucking monster who has to be stopped. Uh, so that's my river don't. Faux show. Faux shakety show. I was shocked at how bad the parents were in this episode. Every single one that we had some ambiguity about became terrible. We introduced a new parent so that he could be terrible. And we see the worst parent get so much worse than she ever was before. Yeah. Um, They keep doubling down, and eventually, just like KFC, they're going to have to recall the product. (laughs) Indeed. On a lighter note, my perplexing bit for this week, my eye-rollingest, most confused viewing experience for the week, was actually your river don't, basically. Jughead's sudden Betty kissing action that happened. It was so unmotivated, and so weird, and wrong, and like, what that why did that just what but the thing that takes it from being just a bad thing into like full-on looney tunes dodo land is that the kiss between them magically confers detective insight to the character (laughs) jughead is a clue fairy and if you kiss him you figure out something about the mystery that's what i saw yeah that's what i saw on my tv i mean that that tracks Betty certainly wasn't thinking about kissing. No, like, and then they, they go completely kiss, and drop she's like, that. Oh, car, evidence, stuff, plot, let's go. And then when she says that, Jughead gets a little bit shitty, too. He's like, oh, you're going to do that in our moment? And it's like, buddy, these are hard times. <laughs> like, it's there's messed up stuff going on. Maybe Betty's head isn't completely in the game. Yeah. Ari so, kissing. So, so weird. Just, it came out of nowhere. It didn't make sense. And it seemed magically propel into the next scene almost like like i said it's like he's a clue fairy but what really happened is that the show knew that it couldn't linger there because there was nothing more to do with it because it was nonsense yeah for sure so that's my that's my that's my weekly weirdness okay my weekly weirdness yeah that the like the alliteration (laughs) it's good finally hit it after six weeks yep my weekly uh, weirdness. archie's dad (laughs) <laughs> hey oh uh, <laughs> sorry but my weekly weirdness involves what happened during archie's performance <laughs> yes uh, thank you for this two words <laughs> teen wolves 
He's sitting up there this... playing his instrument, and then he looks up, and suddenly all the football boys are Teen Wolves. And this is a callback to the to incredible him opening. Finding a werewolf mask in a box. Yes, and thinking that was real spooky. The incredible opening monologue where Jughead posits that fear is the most quote basic human emotion, and as evidence of this, we see Archie get frightened by a werewolf mask in a box of his own possessions. Yes. In fact, I definitely posit that this werewolf mask fucking bizarre motif bookends the episode for literally no reason other than to justify Jughead's noir narration monologue that has no place in the episode because what Jughead says has fucking nothing to do with anything and they were desperate. Part of me hopes that they bring it back and explain why the hell Archie has a fear of werewolf masks? But part of me also loves the beautiful absurdity of just leaving that on the table. Yeah, no, they can't lose. <laughs> Is he scared because the Teen Wolves are the football boys and they're supposed to be basketball boys? That could be confusing to someone as dumb as Archie. That's not what Teen Wolves do. Michael <laughs> no, J. No, Fox dunk. dunks it they on dunk the court. On people. Just like a real Teen Wolf. But I mean, could they just not afford, by the way the licensing for the H.P. Lovecraft quote here? Because his book-length essay on supernatural horror in literature starts with the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. That's like a classic quote, and Jughead basically paraphrases it for this episode. HPL's public domain, bro. Like... <laughs> It's weird. Yeah, but he was racist, so Jughead had to, like, kind of tweak it into his own words. <laughs> but death of the author. We we can't enjoy anything if we have to hold authors to moral standards. I'm trying to justify Jughead's actions, okay? <laughs> That's fair. He's like, HBL makes me feel gross I f- because he was horrible. Yeah, that's that's fair. All right. Yeah. I mean, if I met Lovecraft in, in real life, I'd, like, give him a wedgie and, you know, shove his head in the toilet. Yeah, maybe put on a teen so. wolf mask and spook him while he tries to yeah, spook do him. public performances. He, yeah, would not do yeah. that. He'd be too busy on, like, like 27chan on his computer oh, talking about racist things. Yep. We're lucky that he wrote when he did, honestly, because he sort of fathered modern speculative fiction. And if he had had the internet, he wouldn't have amounted to anything. He would have just harassed people all day. Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft does seem like the kind of guy who would buy into the Pizzagate conspiracy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Dude was a dude was a butthole. Anyway, the Teen Wolf thing came out of nowhere, even considering that opening narration, because that didn't give us any context or any motivation for Archie's Fair fear enough. of spooky werewolf masks. Yes, the thing itself, though thematically tied to the narration, is, in narrative terms, utterly mysterious. It is so strange and out of nowhere, and then Archie powers through and no longer sees the Teen Wolves. He owns the fucking mask. Okay, bring this back in Sabrina too, please. The cursed werewolf mask that Archie is afraid of, but can't get right. rid of, because if he gets rid of it, some other innocent person will he find it. He keeps it locked away, destroyed. but not too yeah. far away, you know? Yeah. No, bring this back in the Sabrina show, and I will be, well, frankly fucking surprised. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, weird, weird stuff. Riverdale never disappoints. Never. Yeah, we're we're moving into, you know, another set of episodes. We appear to have a 
simple and uncomplicated romance blooming. Can't wait to see how that gets fucked up. Oh, I have a feeling it's going to get messy. And God knows what else. Jughead, just Jughead is weirder every episode. Everyone is weirder every episode. Yeah, he doesn't go without getting weirder. And really almost nobody. You're right. Almost nobody does. Look forward so to it. Thank you for thank you for joining us. I have no idea where this road will take us next. Yeah. But I'm thank I'm you excited so much. to see. 